Now, before about 500 BC, people believed that the earth was flat. Some people still do. I don't get it. Mesopotamian mythology described a round disk over which a dome was set, and that was believed to be the earth. A similar understanding of earth is later described in Genesis 1 in our own Hebrew Bible. So around 500 BC, Greek philosophers and scientists such as Pythagoras and later Aristotle proved through observation that the earth was indeed spherical. But it took approximately another thousand years for this realization to make it across the known world. And though educated Christians understood this new model, it posed a threat to common believers who believed that their dead loved ones were above them, looking down on them from heaven. I mean, literally, the dome of the sky. And so what would it mean if now Earth is a sphere? Where is up? And for that matter, where is hell if it's not below? So there was some trouble with this. And then as early as 200 BC, theories began floating around that the Earth may not actually be the center of the universe. Now Copernicus fine-tuned that idea, focusing on a revolution around the sun around in, in about five, 1543. And then 100 years later, Galileo took it a little bit further. And as many of you know, the church did not take kindly to this notion, in part because it would mean a less literal interpretation of biblical passages. And in part because prior to that, Aristotle had just posed some key challenges. If the earth really does rotate and revolve, then why are we not all flying off of it? Because that was before Newton and gravity. How do you like our science lesson so far? <laughs> now, by the late 1600s, the heliocentric model that, or that the sun is the center of the earth was generally acknowledged and accepted. Columbus believed he would indeed reach India by sailing to the west from Italy, but it, or from Spain. But in the 1700s, both models were still taught in school, kind of hedging their bets, a little like today in creation and evolution. Now, only in the 1800s, finally, was it widely accepted and taught that the Earth and the planets revolve around the sun. And then in the early 1900s, Hubble began the process that would help us understand the actual size and scope of our galaxy as well as the universe as a whole. So the point is, even after 2,500 years and more of scientific discovery, we are still learning and growing in our understanding of the cosmos. So why is it so difficult for us to recognize the size and scope of the crises that are happening here on our planet, among our people, before our very eyes, in our time. Much like earlier scientists, current ones keep running up against fear. What does it mean for us today if things like climate change are true? I mean, if we don't trust science to talk about evolution and we can't get past the seven-day creation, how are we supposed to believe that humanity may likely see our end within our children's or grandchildren's lifetime? I mean, that just sounds absurd and unthinkable and frightening. And there's no money to be made in it, because as we all know, money is really what makes the world go round. 
In the 1970s and 80s, fossil fuel companies such as Exxon and Shell had scientists who actually told them exactly what we're hearing today, that climate is changing and will change continually and dramatically and change and challenge the livelihood of creation as we know it. That is, unless fossil fuel companies stop doing what they're doing. If they continue to drill and sell at the rate they have been, then things are going to become difficult. And that was 50 years ago. They had this information 50 years ago. They could have done something, but there's no money to be made in it. So instead of changing their practices, they hid the information. They worked to publicly speak against science, to spread skepticism and misinformation, to instill doubt in our community against the scientific community. And it seems to be working. Because when it takes a 15-year-old girl from Sweden to stand up against national leaders and then endure the bullying she received, I wonder what is wrong with us. And why is it that we would readily buy into seeds of doubt but not trust the science? I see two big reasons. One, like the church of the past, many still read the Bible with a lens of superiority. When God gave humanity dominion over the earth and the creatures, they read it as domination rather than stewardship. And two, because to change the trajectory of the climate means to change our very lives. And it's not convenient. And it's not comfortable. And it's not immediately practical. And it's certainly not very affordable. Who wants to limit their vacation travel and the wonderful places they go and the people they see and the family that they would otherwise only see on FaceTime? Who would want to limit, limit that travel to limit their carbon footprint? Who looks forward? to carpooling with annoying co-workers? <laughs> Who looks forward to riding their bike to work during the winter? Who doesn't want the newest and biggest and best thing available? And who doesn't just discard and throw away those items that no longer serve us? That's the beauty of convenience. As Greta Thunberg said, our future was sold. We're selling our future. And it's more convenient to believe that we've still got some years to figure this thing out. But we did. We had years. 50 years. But we didn't believe the science in the 70s and 80s. We didn't want to believe it in the 90s and the 2000s. And as the 20s approach, we're faced with this reality. We have sold our future for 30 pieces of silver. Now in our gospel today, Jewish told the, Jesus told the Jewish leaders... I am the bread that came down from heaven. And they said to themselves, What? We know who this guy is. He's just a carpenter's son. We know his parents. There is nothing special about him. He's just some guy spouting things about the end of the world. Why would we listen to him? Because to listen to Jesus would mean that they would need to shift their way of thinking and their way of living and their way of leading. They would need to shift their theology, who they thought God was, which is probably the hardest part of it all. Jesus told them that their God, his Father, was being revealed to them through him. That's a bit extreme for their taste, because they had seen what he was up to. He ate with sinners. He touched lepers. He took the side of prostitutes. 
He broke the Sabbath by healing the broken and the hurting. He was not keeping the rules that God had set for them. He was, in their eyes, an abomination. How dare he suggest that he spoke for God? How dare he propose that he represented God? How dare he challenge their way of life, their religion, and their understanding? I wonder if this, too, isn't what Judas was thinking as he took those 30 pieces of silver before leading them to Jesus in the garden. He thought he was in the right. He thought that Jesus had gone too far, that he wasn't the Messiah they were hoping for. He thought that he was turning over an imposter, and he thought wrong, and it cost Jesus his life. What if we thought wrong? Why is it that we are so quick to deny ourselves life when it is offered to us? To turn down the bread of life when it is handed over to us. Perhaps humanity has become full of the junk food of the lives that we have built for ourselves. Do we even recognize true bread from heaven when it is offered? Or do we always look for the easy way, the convenient way, the way of immediate gratification? These are the challenges we're faced with. And they aren't new challenges. They're the same challenges that have faced the people of earth and the people of faith since the beginning of time. But today, we have so many more things to distract us from what true and abundant and eternal life is. So then, do we recognize life when we're faced with it? Or has it become distorted by our lens of opulence? Now, here's the thing. Making significant change is not only scary, it's hard. I drive to work in my little car so that I have the freedom to come and go as I need. If I want to make, make visits, I can go make visits. If I want to stop at the grocery store, I can stop at the grocery store. If I want to make a last-minute hair appointment or doctor's appointment, I can do that, and I can be independent and free. But I could bike to work. I have biked to work. I could ride the bus. There's a bus stop just out here and one near my house. But if I did that, I'd have to be more intentional with my time and my plans. Mark and I have talked about getting an electric car, but they're expensive. And they don't go very far if we were decided to take a family vacation or go to Kansas to visit my family. There aren't enough charging stations to make it work. And, and though we don't travel a lot, if we do travel, we don't want to have to think about our carbon footprint every time we climb onto a plane. Beyond that, I'm not even sure what other changes we should be making or that we could be making. This is all really daunting, and it's difficult. It's definitely inconvenient. It's definitely expensive. And yet, it's crucial that we start somewhere and work our way forward. Not because I am afraid of the future, but because I believe in a God who has given us the wisdom and compassion and courage to do these hard things, to make hard decisions, to truly live as children of God within God's beloved creation. I believe that God has created us with the capacity for deep scientific wisdom and immense creativity to solve the challenges before us. I believe that God loves us too much to let us be satisfied with this half-life we have created for ourselves. And so as we're just about to sing with the earth and the stars and the loud rushing planets, today I choose to believe in this wonderful mystery of a new life and a new future, and I choose to hope and not fear.
I choose to praise God with a new song, a song of life. And in that praise, I need to continually pray for God's wisdom and strength to make the changes in my life that need to be made for the glory of God and for the goodness of creation. Amen.